Welcome to Illinois in Focus. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories about action at the Illinois State House, population decline, and more. I'll then join the Center Square Executive Editor Dan McCaleb to further discuss the news. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus. I'm Greg Bishop. Hello, I'm Garrett Hawkins, a family farmer raising corn and soybeans in Monroe County, Illinois. It might be hard to believe, but 96% of the farms in Illinois are owned and operated by family farmers just like me. Our job is to grow the healthiest, most affordable food around to feed my family and yours. Meet more farmers just like me at www.watchusgrow.org corn. A message from the Illinois Corn Marketing Board. Welcome back to Illinois in Focus. I'm Greg Bishop. Here's some of the top stories from the past week. As population growth in the nation's largest counties rebounded in 2022, Illinois continued to see population decline. Kevin Bessler reports. According to the U.S. Census Bureau's Vintage 2022 estimates, 92 Illinois counties lost residents from July 2021 to July of last year, including Cook County, which experienced the second largest population loss in the country. Mark Glennon, founder of the nonprofit Wirepoint, says... High taxes are just one of the reasons for the exodus. The economy, uh, crime, of course, is the big one right now that is driving people out of particularly Chicago and um, other places. But Governor J.B. Pritzker says people continue to move to Illinois. We did not lose uh, population, as you saw when the Census Bureau data came through for the 2020 census. Um, we actually gained population. Other Illinois counties that lost a large amount of residents include Lake County at about 3,000, St. Clair County at 2,300, and Kane County at 2,000. I'm Kevin Bessler. Meanwhile, Democratic State Representative LaShawn Ford said he sees the decline in his Chicago community. I think that if you look at the numbers, um, it's clear that we have a loss of people in the state of Illinois. I mean, even in the community that I live in, Austin, we've lost population. Germantown Hills Republican State Senator Wynn Stoller, he said his community and family are seeing the exodus out of Illinois for other opportunities. My own son has, has moved to Chattanooga. Chattanooga has, was the same size as my hometown of Peoria just 10 years ago. Now it's double the size because they have attracted uh, a new Volkswagen electric car plant. And that's where my son works in Chattanooga. And despite the governor's insistence that Illinois is growing, census data shows otherwise. Stoller said the first step to addressing the issue is to admit there's a problem. If we want to be attracting people to Illinois, we need to, to start with our, our tax environment, our business regulations to, to promote jobs, to promote economic opportunity. Ford recognized the problem and suggested the state is already doing things he says will reverse population decline. We're investing more money in higher ed, we're investing more money in early childhood education, and we're investing more money in businesses. I hope that this will help drive people back to Illinois and sort of um, stop people from leaving the state. The U.S. Census shows Illinois at 12.6 million, down from 12.7 million the year before. Hundreds of gun owners lobbied their lawmakers Wednesday in Springfield. More than two months manned a slew of lawsuits since Illinois enacted a ban on certain guns and magazines. During a rally at a convention center in Springfield, Illinois State Rifle Association Executive Director Richard Pearson said the four plaintiffs' groups with a consolidated case against the state's gun ban will make a difference in the federal courts. This case that we're looking at will change uh, not only Illinois, 
but every state in the union. Pearson told the crowd the challenge is costing money, and not just private donations for legal fees, it's costing taxpayers for lawyers to defend the law. So they use our money against us, but that doesn't mean we're going away, that doesn't mean we're going to give up. We are going to fight on no matter what. The federal challenges against Illinois' gun ban are set to be heard in the Southern District's April 12th. A state-level challenge will be heard by the Illinois Supreme Court in mid-May. And those are the top stories from the past week for Illinois. Find more online at americastalking.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, I'll join the Center Square Executive Editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus, a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Greg Bishop. Freedom and liberty are important to all of us in Illinois, from Rockford to Carbondale, from Quincy to Decatur. If you're looking for civil, intellectual conversations with those shaping the future of freedom, try the Future of Freedom podcast with me, Scott Bertram. We speak with leaders across the country in the greater conservative and libertarian movements. In-depth conversations about where the next intellectual battles will happen across the country. It's the Future of Freedom podcast. Find it at americastalking.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Illinois in Focus. I'm Dan McCaleb, executive editor of the Center Square Newswire Service. Joining me today is Greg Bishop, the Center Square's Illinois editor and senior Springfield reporter. How are you, Greg? I am good, Dan. Thanks for always having me. Well, you're the brain trust here. It wouldn't be much of a podcast without you, Greg. (laughs) Uh, We are recording this on Thursday, March 30th. The federal bribery conspiracy trial, not now dubbed the comment four trials in its third week uh, in Chicago. And boy, what a week it's been. Essentially, there's been one witness on the stand all week, and that is high level former comment executive Fidel Marquez, who pleaded guilty back in 2021 to corruption related charges in connection to this case. He agreed uh, to the FBI. He made an agreement with the FBI to cooperate in the investigation agreed to wear uh, a wire so he could get secret recordings of some of the um, key people in this case, including the defendants, four defendants with ties to ComEd and ties to longtime former House Speaker Michael Madigan. Marquez's testimony this week, he talked about all kinds of different things, all kinds of different things that Madigan through Mike McLean, who was one of the defendants in this trial, sought from ComEd in exchange for Madigan helping them get legislation through that was financially favorable to ComEd. What do you think? Yeah, this is, uh, again, uh, almost like a a preview of sorts of uh, what we could possibly expect next year when uh, the former House Speaker Michael Madigan goes on trial for the 22 counts that he has associated with this case. No question, uh, Fidel Marquez being the one individual from ComEd that pleaded guilty early on after this was all revealed, uh, that indicates that uh, he was uh, really willing to work with the federal prosecutors in this case from the get-go. And uh, that uh, cooperation was shown even more, not just from the uh, the testimony he provided in court, but Dan, we've been just sitting back looking at all of the evidence that prosecutors are releasing in this. And it started with uh, wiretap recordings, and we heard Madigan's voice in a lot of these recordings. We heard Mike McLean's voice throughout a lot of these recordings. But now we have video evidence that's been released in this case. And the video evidence is of uh, Marquez wearing a hidden camera, having conversations with uh, Jay Doherty and Mike McLean. And these conversations are either in some you know obscure office somewhere where Jay Doherty 
is talking about how uh, Marquez should uh, explain uh, these these uh, large dollar amount contracts for ComEd lobbyists to explain how and what kind of work product they're showing uh, and uh, even how to, you know, not say that it's part of Madigan or a request from the speaker. Uh, and another video, it showed uh, a, a dinner between Fidel Marquez and Mike McLean, uh, where they're also talking about something very similar uh, and interesting to hear uh, Marquez raise. Uh, in at least just two videos that were uh, released this week. And we expect to see a lot more of this type of uh, audio and video evidence being released by prosecutors. But even in uh, the conversation that McLean was having with Marquez in this video, it uh, it shows Marquez uh, seeming to raise issue with the idea of these high dollar contracts, sometimes ten thousand dollars a month uh, for individuals associated with this what prosecutors call Madigan Enterprise. So obviously, uh, Marquez is a very much cooperating witness uh, and even the defense getting up uh, trying to make the defense. Uh, and uh, this week they started their cross examination of Marquez, uh, seeming to indicate that Marquez got scared whenever federal prosecutors came to his door. Uh, so this is this is really turning out to be a high stakes drama in that courtroom, and uh, it's incredible to see the the amount of evidence that federal prosecutors continue to put out. One of the things Marquez testified to was that several known Chicago area. Politico types um, got got these contracts con- contracted jobs with ComEd, including former Chicago Alderman uh, Frank Olivo, uh, longtime Madigan campaign operative Ray Nice, former Cook County reporter recorder of deeds Edward Moody, and he, here's a direct quote from um, from Marquez's testimony: "I didn't expect for them to be doing any work for ComEd because I knew they were brought on as a favor to Mike Madigan." In other testimony this week, a little uh, interesting tidbit, Mike Madigan, uh, his da- one of his daughters, um, their power went out. He got McLean to contact ComEd to rush getting that power back on. ComEd apparently hopped right to it. It really uh, highlights the uh, status that Madigan had uh, with uh, the officials from ComEd. And I think prosecutors are definitely laying that on thick uh, in front of the jury who's taken all of this evidence in. My, I would love to be a uh, fly on the wall uh, whenever the jury ends up going into deliberations to see how they take all of this and how they interpret all of this. Whether they just say, oh, this is business as usual. This is just typical politicking. I scratch your back. You scratch mine. Or if they're going to see something a bit deeper here uh, and and what federal prosecutors allege is that nearly decade long scheme to have favorable legislation in exchange for little to do nothing jobs. And deliberation still could be a few weeks away. Prosecutors and defense attorneys have said this could be a six to eight week trial. We're just winding down the third week this week. You mentioned being on a fly, a fly on the wall in the jury room. I'd like to be a fly on the wall in Michael Madigan's house as this is going on. We have no idea, of course. I'm speculating here. But you've got to think he's paying attention to every minutia of this trial, wouldn't you think? I'm sure his defense is as well. Uh, his attorneys likely are uh, watching all of this and taking in all of the uh, the evidence. And um, they, they, they likely are, are taking plenty of notes uh, preparing for, for next year. Need to mention all four of these defendants, of course, have pleaded not guilty, claim no wrongdoing. The speaker, the former speaker himself, Madigan, has pleaded not guilty, said he did nothing. 
wrong. We're expecting Marquise, the, 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 the key witness that we talk about, to continue his testimony next week. So it could be up to five, six straight days of him being on the stand before the ne- next witness is called. But very interesting story. We will be at the courthouse every single day covering it. You can read our coverage at thecentersquare.com. At the same time, this high-profile ComEd case is occurring, Greg. The Illinois legislature is also in session. That's got to keep you and your team extremely busy. Interesting story from a week ago, last Friday. Republicans essentially used a procedural move to shut down business after they realized that Democrats were trying to ram through all kinds of legislation even though they didn't have enough Democratic lawmakers on the floor to vote. So they were having staff vote for them. Tell us about this. We've seen this practice in the past where you have uh, the uh, issue of late night bill runs where lawmakers are up against a deadline and they start lining up some legislation in order to pass it. And you, of course, have to have, you know, the uh, the 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 required number of votes to get it across the finish line, which is a 60 vote threshold in the Illinois House. Democrats have, oh, gosh, I want to say like 74 uh, Democrats. So they've got way more than the uh, just basic majority they need. Um, but what was fascinating is and we've seen this practice done in the past, but how it gets revealed is is rather incredible. Uh, so we've seen where in the past uh, Democrat staff uh, and even Republican staff uh, would have their uh, the staff go out and flip the switches one way or the other for a lawmaker that's not physically on the floor. Now, remember, Dan, we did have uh, the covid pandemic where uh, there were some rules that allowed for uh, remote voting. And we saw this play out where some lawmakers would vote uh, either from their office back in their district. We even saw a uh, Republican state senator at the time, former gubernatorial candidate uh, Darren Bailey, uh, he cast a vote from a helicopter at one point. Um, people cast votes from cars. Yeah, <laughs> pretty incredible. Uh, but this was during you know the height of the pandemic, where rules in both chambers were uh, crafted to allow for remote voting. Well, they've largely gotten rid of that. So, uh, the, the, especially in the House, there's no remote voting. That was one thing that Republicans really fought to get into the House rules for this new General Assembly. So that's, that's no longer the option. Um, but Friday was the deadline for the Illinois House to pass House bills out of that chamber. So they were lining up. They passed, uh, you know, 110 bills one day, 120 bills another day, uh, 40 plus bills another day. Uh, Friday after they passed uh, probably 80 or 90 bills, uh, it's it's starting to get late at night. There was a bill that came up about uh, generic drug regulations. It got 64 votes, and then Republicans saw maybe some what they characterize as shenanigans with staff voting for Democrats instead of Democrats being there to vote. So they used a procedural move, a what's called a vote verification, where they requested this verification, and when it's accepted, the speaker, whoever's uh, controlling the House at that time, they go through and they ask for all of those who voted in the affirmative if they're in the chamber. So they went through and after some back and forth, they granted the request for verification. They started reading off names. Is State Representative Cam Buckner, he voted in the affirmative. Is he here? 
no, he's not here. Remove his name from the affirmative. You get 63 votes now. Is State Representative LaShawn Ford here? Yes, he is here. Okay, well, then he his name can stay as an affirmative. They then worked through about three or four different names, found that there were at least four Democrats that weren't in the chamber. That's knocked the vote threshold below what was needed to pass it. And then they had to pull that bill from consideration because it did not pass after that vote verification. So right after that, Republicans demanded a caucus where they then marched off the floor and abruptly Democrats ended session last Friday. And uh, a lot of uh, Republicans looking at this and even people across the state uh, really frustrated that this type of practice is even allowed that uh, you could have staff possibly, uh, you know, flip switches for Democrats who aren't on the House floor. Interesting insight into the sort of a procedural uh, way the legislature works or tries to work anyway. You mentioned they passed hundreds of bills uh, last week, Greg, to beat their deadline. One of those bills would make the black walnut the official state nut. Another bill would prohibit dogs from riding on a driver's lap. Republicans are saying that the bills that the Democrats are rushing through uh, the legislature aren't what they should be focused on, that their Illinois has much bigger issues to address. Um, and and um, so they've been crit- critical, not just of the process, but of the legislation that's making it through. Yeah, at the center square, uh, we've uh, really covered a lot of different um, uh, issues that that uh, are impacting taxpayers directly. Uh, the the pension debt that uh, the state has upwards to one hundred and forty billion dollars, according to the state. If you talk to some credit rating agencies, they put it at two hundred, three hundred billion dollars. This is unfunded pension liability that just doesn't seem to be going away, regardless of more tax dollars being thrown at it. Uh, so you've got that issue. You've got the property tax issue. You've got uh, schools that aren't performing well, um, if they're performing at all. Uh, you've got uh, administrative bloat. Uh, you've got. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Greg, but I was going to say you have more than 7,000 plus units of government in Illinois, most in the country. And it just it, it just stacks up. The problems stack up and Republicans in the super minority, uh, they, they see a lot of different legislation that's advancing from what's going to be the state nut to what's going to be the state's you know, bean uh, to legislation that's uh, going to essentially allow for undocumented residents to have easier access to driver's licenses or, uh, you know, uh, getting rid of uh, the terms boy and girl in state statute and replacing it with children or making language in state statute gender neutral. Uh, Blaine Wilhauer, a state representative Republican from Beecher City down in downstate Illinois, he said that, uh, and this is a Blaine Wilhauer quote, he said that what's happening at the state legislature is a, quote, woke dumpster fire. And uh, you have that sentiment among the minority Republicans that I don't know has quite gotten across to, to the Democrat supermajority. New census data came out this year, their annual census data on counties across the country. Turns out that Cook County, year over year between uh, essentially July 2021 and July 2022, lost the most population, the second most population of any county in the United States, second only to Los Angeles County out in California. 92 of Illinois' 102 counties lost population over the same time period. 
Yet Governor Pritzker came out yesterday and said Illinois was growing population. Yeah, and we we had the um, indication that the census report was going to come out showing uh, counties across the country and uh, their population trends. Are they growing? Are they shrinking? Are they stagnant? Uh, we knew this document, uh, this this information was coming out. That this data set was going to be released, and all indication was. It was going to show Illinois counties weren't growing by far. I asked the governor on Wednesday because uh, he had previously said that, uh, you know, the census got it wrong, that they uh, undercounted Illinois by close to 2%. And even Illinois Democrats from the state house and from Congress, they wrote the U.S. census demanding that Illinois' population be revised to 13 million instead of the 12.7 million that it is now, which was down from 12.8 million. So, so uh, Illinois lost a seat in Congress in the 2020 census, meaning we no longer have uh, you know, the, 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 the seat that we had before. So now the new Congress, we have less uh, influence in the U.S. House. Uh, so that's a, an indication right there. We are losing population. Uh, then you look at IRS data. And that shows Illinois isn't just losing population to other states. It shows that Illinois is losing its highest earners to other states. Uh, then you get the annual census data that's released, again, showing another year of accelerated population decline. Um, and if the governor's not interested in looking at the census data, maybe we look at U-Haul or United Van Lines. They put out uh, uh, annual reports that shows which states have the most people moving out of it. And Illinois regularly is among the highest rate of people moving out of the state, according to those private numbers. So I asked the governor if he still stands by the idea that Illinois is growing when all of these indicators are showing that the state is shrinking. And he stood by saying that Illinois Illinois is not shrinking. Illinois is growing. Uh, and uh, the census, you know, they, they, they had it wrong. They miscounted. That's just not the case. Now, I did talk with Democrat State Representative LaShawn Ford. He acknowledges that Illinois is shrinking. And he says even in his own community in the uh, Austin neighborhood of Chicago, he sees people leaving uh, and Republicans obviously have been pointing to this for close to a decade, saying Illinois has got serious problems and there's a whole host of things that need to change. While Republicans are saying the business climate needs to change, we need to lower property taxes, we need to lower corporate taxes, we need to foster a climate for businesses to want to come here to set up, thereby creating jobs, creating demand for people to live here. That's been a mantra of Republicans for years. Democrats really have ignored this mostly. I don't know if they can ignore it anymore. I think we might start seeing a little bit of a consensus that uh, we do indeed have a problem. Next week, Greg, municipal elections in Illinois are next week with the big one. The highlight being the race for Chicago mayor. Of course, in the primary last month, Lori Lightfoot, the current Chicago mayor, finished in third place to two other candidates, Paul Vallis and Brandon Johnson. Both Vallis and Johnson are in the runoff and will be on the uh, ballot in Chicago um, for voters to pick from. Are you going to be paying attention to this? No question. I think everybody's going to be paying attention to it. And while a lot of people in downstate Illinois may say they're just done considering Chicago, uh, Chicago is a major economic driver for the state. There's no question. Paul Vallis and uh, Brandon Johnson, uh, even though they both say they're they're Democrats, uh, it's, there's a there's a clear difference. And uh, it seems to be uh, one of uh, you know, a candidate who's more of a, a manager approach versus a candidate who's more of a, a labor 
labor approach. Yeah, Vallis being the one uh, who's more management approach. He, of course, is the former CEO of Chicago Public Schools. Johnson, much more progressive, very close ties with the Chicago Teachers Union. So Chicago voters, it's a, you have a, a two contrasting ca- candidates. You've got a decision to make. Good luck with that. But Greg, that is all the time we have. Listeners can keep up with uh, all of the stories we talked about today at thecentersquare.com. For Greg Bishop, I'm Dan McCaleb. Please subscribe. Thank you for listening. 